I would just turn my speech and stand in front. Uh, my name's still John. I'm still the Bulls Beater. <laughs> I used to make fun years ago of the kind of people who would stand up and hold a big book in their hand and read directly out of it because uh, the cool kids didn't do that. Trouble was driving away for a while, came back, and all the cool kids were gone. And the only people that were still there were the people who were holding the big book and reading out of it. But I really like to read this because uh, to me it's an important thing. So, you know, we've been speaking of serious, sometimes tragic things. We've been dealing with addiction in this worst aspect, but we are not a grown if newcomers uh, could see no joy or fun in our existence, they wouldn't want it. We absolutely insist upon enjoying life. And on the page opposite that, it says, we, sure, we are sure God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. We cannot subscribe to the belief that this, is, this life is a veil of tears, though for, as it once was for many of us. But it is clear that we need our own history. God does not. Avoid them the deliberate manufacture of misery. And, I, and that used to be part of my life. Uh, uh, and today, I mean, the reality is, is I, 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 I like to wear life like a loose garment. I make, I make a lot of jokes. I take myself not seriously at all. But I take my program and I take this disease very seriously. Um, I'm going to send some pictures around. And I'm probably one of the few people in the world who sends pictures around in a way of somebody other than himself. Okay? But I do because there's a picture that this great lady was one of my sponsees. It was a guy who was more like, he was not only a sponsee, he was a friend. He was more like me than anybody I've ever met in programming. He had that, that, you know, that sense of humor, the sharp, the cynical thing. And he is he dead? He's dead as a direct result of this disease. You know? And he's one of two sponsees I've had. You know, Jim. He died with fire, you know, and when I think of how, you know, he's 600 pounds, he couldn't get out. And when I think of how I would die, I would die of a heart attack, I'd die of a stroke, I never thought of that. And, and I've also, you know, there's another guy named Dan who I used to sponsor who's dead from this disease. And the thing about it is that I, um, I need to remember that. And that's the reason I carry this picture. I'll send these around to the city. I, I earned my, my, my uh, teeth. And the, the fact is that anybody who's been here for any amount of time knows people, knows more than one. People isn't, you know, it's plural, who have died from this, this disease. We've even known, you know, friends, we've known people who've gone out, we've known, I've known anorexics who were 25-year-old women who dropped dead of heart attacks. I've known a lot of people. So, underneath my joking exterior is deadly seriousness about this disease. And, well, you know, I, I'm in another program, in the beverage program, and every once in a while, I get kidding. I get kidding about, oh, hey, oh, yeah, you, you're the, you know, when they find you in a, in a gutter with a bag of twin beans. And, and I remind them that I've buried two sponsors here. And that it isn't as easy to think. And I don't tell them. I say, you know, we are, we are taking some substance we have to take into our bodies three times a day. And I said, if you want to get an idea what that's like, have a shot of, of Jack Daniels for breakfast, one at lunch, and one at dinner. And when you say that to an alcoholic, it, it, it just gets the, and now obviously there's more to it. But the point is, I take it very seriously. I am um, a child of two alcoholics uh, who divorced at an early age, but I kept going back and forth between the frying pan and the fire. It was a really, it, my mother was a real low, low bottom alcoholic. You know, the kind of, you know, knock on the door and the cops are there and kids, your mother's downtown, you gotta take you away to the foster home. And uh, this is like 3,000 miles from anybody else. And then I went back, back to her and my father, who was a functional alcoholic, but who was a car salesman who was never, who would cut me out. I guess in the morning, throw $5 down and here's for dinner, and I wouldn't see him until the night. So essentially, from about age 10 on, I raised myself, you know, and 
the thing about it is, is that in, in our society, we don't let 10-year-olds be parents. We don't let 10-year-olds raise other kids because they don't have the ability to do it. And yet, I did that, and I got all the way into adulthood with a lot of thoughts and views of a 10-year-old, you know? And one of them is that, um, you know, there was, there, was no, there was no maturity in it at all. You know, there was no, there was nothing about it. You know, for me, it was, I mean, the perfect ownership, you know? And, 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 you know, I never had kids, but if I had kids, I think I would say, look, it's really important to try to do the best you can. But, you know, when you fail, you're not a bad person. You pick up, you try again, you try and learn from the mistakes. But, you know, you're not a bad person. But I never learned any of that. So I went into life with all of this. I also got all of the alcoholic kind of things that, that you get. You get crazy, crazy things going on. I just had to deal with this with, with a extended family member who, who they, they went through some really crazy stuff. And then, then they all were trying to sit around being nice to, you know, like nothing happened to the kids. And I was like, no, don't get that crazy making the kids. To have really crazy stuff happen in the next day, everybody's sitting there, nice, nice, nice. Meanwhile, you're, you're looking and you know things are nice, and yet you see it, and it's really, uh, it's a, it's not a fun way to go up. Uh, I think the most important thing I got from my parents at an early age was, I was, you know, they never, you know, parents never going to sit the kid down and go, oh, drink, it's good for you. But they'll say things that you pick up as a kid, like, I need, a, they'll get upset and go, I need a, you know, fill in the blank. I need a drink. I need, I need a cigarette. I need, I need a pill. And what the little kid in me got is, oh, well, if I don't like how I'm feeling in here, you know, there's something out there I can put in here that'll make me feel better. And at an early age for me, it was food, you know? It was, you know, I joke that I got into food because I hadn't invented crack yet, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted anything. I wanted anything that would make that knot that I walked around in my stomach go away. And for me, heavy doses of sugar did that at an early age. And then later, you know, um, it changed into something else. But I grew up with that, and I grew up being the fat kid in school, and you know, the guy who was the first male in the you know, OA and got into EG, he's a great guy, and he used to say, there's no hell on earth like being a fat kid, and I used to say, I've been a fat kid, I've been a fat adult, you know, maybe make little snickering aside to you as an adult, but kids are just brutal, right between the eyes, and, and, and I was also what they call the gifted kid, so I was, just, I was the smartest kid in class, usually, and the thing is that when you feel like shit about how you are, how you look, how your body is, you're going to grasp on anything you can to feel better about yourself. For me, it was, let me let you know how smart I am. And, and this went on well into adulthood, well into, into to, to AA and stuff like that. Of, of, I had to make sure as soon as you met me that you knew exactly how smart I was. I had to use big words and I had to correct your English, which of course just makes friends all of them. <laughs> 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 this is what I got. And, and, but, so all it did for at, at a childhood age was estrange me even more. Because now I'm not only the fat kid, I'm the smart fat kid who's, you know, who's making life miserable. And, and, and so it was, you know, until I came into this program, it was, it, I really had this idea there was a world and there was John. There were, you know, two non-exclusive subjects, and there were no overlap. And it took me years to get that I'm, I'm just another person, you know. And that, and, and that involved learning some teachability, you know. And uh, so I, I was fat. I all the way through growing up, I, I never wanted to be fat, you know, like everything else. 
You know, there's, there's a great line that I quote from somebody who's in this room who will name me who used to be a sponsor of mine, who I was quoting from more about alcoholism one day, and said, it is the great desire of every compulsive leader to someday eat like a normal person. And he says, no, we don't. We don't eat like normal people. We, we want to eat like we want to eat with none of the results. We'd <laughs> <laughs> be glad to know that line is made it all over the country. It's true. Uh, but it's true. I want, I, that's what I wanted. That's part of... of part of the core of my disease, you know, and look, you know, it took me years to get, when I first come in, you're new to me, you're going, what the hell are these people talking about these steps and all this, what does that have to do with putting down the food? Well, it has very little to do with putting down the food, but it has a hell of a lot to do with not picking it back up, because my disease uses all of my character defects as a door or a window back in, you know, and one of the things that uses more than anything, I, I, I feel I have two core major character defects from which a lot of other stuff comes. One is immaturity, you know. Over in the other program, you hear the phrase, the alcohol personality. It's an immature person. I, I want what I want what I want. And what's my disease? I want to eat whatever I want, and I don't want the laws of physiology to, 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 to have to do with me because I'm going to OA meeting. Don't you see? I've got a 5 OA meeting. Therefore, calories in and calories out shouldn't I should get some kind of dispensation. <laughs> you know, and you know. And the other core, one of my character defects is, I think, is narcissism. The self, the disease of self, which talks throughout the big book, is all about me. And, 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 and throughout my life, I, you know, I took on so many things personally that were not, you know, the guy cut me off on the highway, I'm almost, well, doesn't he know who I am? Or, you know, no, the guy's cool. He's talking on the phone, he's saying, no, this has nothing to do with me. But I would rather it have something to do with me because then it would dissuade my ego to think that I'm important enough that he can, you know. There's a great line somebody said when some famous guy said, uh, um, the thing that would really annoy me about what people think about me is, is if I realize just how little people think about me. <laughs> you know? And part of me wanted that. But so, I grew up and I, I was fat, and, I, and, and I, when I first came into the program, I used to say, I tried every diet and none of them worked. And the more I thought about it, no, I, I tried every diet and they all worked. They all worked once. They all worked once because I'm a great student. You know, you give me the syllabus, you say, follow this, I'm going to follow it, I'm going to do everything, and, I, and it works. Because I take my brain out, I follow what I'm supposed to do. The trouble is, I've got an addict's brain. So on my second half, I'm like, okay, now let's see, where's the loopholes here, you know? You know, and, and then it didn't work, you know, and, and, and I did, I tried everything, and I, you know, again, it was just very miserable growing up, and I, I ended up on a high school in this town called Greenwich, Connecticut, which is, for anybody who knows, it, it's like the Beverly Hills of the East, except my father's a car salesman, and we're in a one-room apartment, you know, and so, you know, if you call the South Central and you're poor, everybody in South Central's poor, and you don't feel any less than but when you're in Greenwich and, and kids are showing up, uh, you know, I'm sure now they, they have licenses for Alexa, I have no clue. But, you know, they had Mercedes or whatever, and I couldn't even afford a bike, you know, and I would go out to walking school. And so, like, I don't feel less than enough about being fat and I'm different because I'm a smart kid. You know, so I was just a mess. And the other thing that I did, all the, and this was a party school, it really was this party school, lots of drinking and drugs and all that, and I didn't because I, the one thing about being a little bring that kid is you start reading about your parents and alcoholism and all that, and you read that, oh, children of alcoholics tend to become alcoholics, I'm like, oh my God, I'm never going to be like my parents, I'm never going to do that. And I didn't know I was all the way through high school, but the thing is, I was this little fat kid who was just terribly, I couldn't talk to women. I mean, there's a TV show on now where I have a character who has to get drunk and be able to, he just talks to women. And that was me. I, I swear to God, it was just practically me. And so at the end of high school, 
I found out all. And the only reason I bring that up is not this program is that it, it was the only reason I did was because I, I would have a drink and I would turn into James Bond in my head. You know, and all of a sudden I could talk to women up and hello darling, how are you? You know, and I could become more self like and it was this magical mission that did that and and I and I went from zero to sixty with the alcohol. And it was the first time in my life, by the way, I was ever able to lose weight. You know, because essentially I traded my addictions. I went to the sugar and the liquid form. I started doing crazy, crazy exercise. You know, I I knew somewhere in the back of my head there was no dinner switch up. Either off or on. So I would like not eat for like a week at a time. I would go out and run until I literally passed out along the side of the road. And that was the only thing I had to do. But I did. I got to normal weight for about two seconds. You know, I had my first girlfriend. I had that. But then that disease took off, and then that became way more important. And then, of course, the food came back. So I, mean, I always joke, I said I was, I was fat, and I was a drunk, and I was a fat drunk. You know, but that was my progression up there. Um, zero to 60, seven years of, of really power drinking, uh, and um, in December of 1980, I, I ended up in rehab in, uh, or is actually detox. Uh, on Christmas week, it's a great time to be in a detox on Christmas week. <laughs> and uh, because I had, John Lennon was shot on December 8th of 1980, and it, it just proved all of the horrible way I felt about the world. This is, this is the horrible world, and if you saw the world the way I really see it, you drink and not want to be, you know, coherent too. But I also knew I couldn't drink anymore, and I, I was so miserable. It was like the miserable thing of knowing that you're, you can't do the thing that's getting you through, mm-hmm. and yet you it's the only thing that's getting you through. And and I remember I I came to AA. I hit a bottom. I hit a bottom because I got thrown out of detox. Okay, <laughs> it's really depressing to get thrown out of detox. I'm like, Mom, do you suspect that somebody really wrong? You know, you're a know it all. And um, I got thrown out. Um, and I remember seeing the guy who became my first sponsor. I can't drink anymore. I'm throwing up blood. I can't feel my right arm in time. I have to stop drinking. And I'm going to be a miserable son of a bitch until I can blow, get the dust to blow my brain down. And I, I swear to God, that was almost, if I remember the quote right. Because that's the way I felt. I couldn't imagine how you go through life without substance. Um, luckily, uh, sometimes higher power energy is a I, I had a spiritual awakening of some kind. I had a big screen cloud. I, I, you know, I look back now and know that. But one of the things that happened is I was so rebellious about a 12 step program because I saw God everywhere. You know, they used to have those uh, window shade things they would, with the steps and traditions. And, and, he's, and I remember, I can't be part of a religious program. And he's like, it's not religious, it's spiritual. And I'm like, well, right there on the point, like, God, 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 him with a capital H, yeah, all this stuff. And he said that the thing that was so brilliant for me at the time was he said, okay, leave it out. And it's like one of those things that's so simple, a complicated brain, just like, what? He said, leave it out. Right now, your disease is looking for anything it can to get out the door. What, what could be better than to think, you know, that, that this group is going to make you believe something? And it was exactly what I needed to hear. Because I've heard other people tell newcomers, oh, just keep coming, you'll get it. And I think it was the paranoid way I was if they had said that, I'd have run out the door just to say, oh my God, the cult's going to get me and indoctrinate me. It's going to be, you know, 12 steps by anthology or whatever. Um, because he said, I'm, and he said something, he went on to say, look, you can be, you stay here, stay sober, you can be 110 years old and stay sober, and nobody's ever going to make you happy to believe in it, one of these. Just keep coming, just try and keep it open. And because he said that, and I was able to take the pressure off myself, I was able to start 
for me as a constitutional higher guard. Because I came from a very dogmatic religion, okay? I, in fact, they, they introduced the word dogma. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, and I wanted nothing to do with that angry, white, judgmental, you know, guy on top of the in general. And I. And, 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 and it was, I had to find some kind of higher power of my own. You got to realize that comes from two lines of angry, nasty Irish males. So the idea of a male, higher power to me is just not going to work. I'm not going to have an ability to, to think of that. It's just, you know, and, and from where I was first, oh, I was so, you know, from my first sponsor notes, he said, well, how can it be God if there's a Holocaust? How can it be God if there's whatever, you know? And he's like, remember him saying, well, if there's your dad, you'd be God, right? Don't worry about it. Just keep going. And he kept it simple for me. And the other thing he said that was so important was, look, the only thing I understand about God is your title, you know? And that was the most important thing he could have said to me. And, and, and to this day, you know, when I was newly sober and, and abstinent, all I had to think about, what is my concept? You know, I had to feel because I'm such a deep thinker. And I, you know what, today, I don't have to work, you know? There's God, it's not me. Keep moving. You know, everything, everything's the way it's supposed to be. And for me, I think the most important word in 12 steps is the word only in the 11th sense. Praying only for knowledge of his will for us and knowledge of yeah. The God I had before I came to the program went to few little isolated times that we had been God, it was Santa Claus. You know, it was like, okay, God, give me this list. Or, God, give me out of this choice. Get me, you know, do something. And now I don't have to think that way. Anyway, fast forward, I, I had a slip. I came back. I've been sober 31 years. I knew, I, by then I'd heard of OA. You know, you come to one program and you start hearing about the others. And I knew I needed to be. All the light bulbs went off. So of course, this is my problem. I've been addicted to food. I came in. I got struck abstinent. Um, and I got, I mean, I was 26 year old male. And so I, you know, I had the metabolism of a hummingbird, I like to say. I lose the weight instantly. And I am, thin is not well on the hook, okay? All I'm doing is a diet. And, and, and a couple of interesting things happened. I, one of those pictures of me of I'm leaning up against a car is probably me at the lowest weight I've ever been as an adult. And I, I didn't talk about it much, but I have had every iteration of this disease. I'm a compulsive eater. I have been bulimic. I have been exercise bulimic. And this one time when I first came to OA, I was anorexic. And the reason was, if you grow up being fat your whole life, you have this idea of a goal like you can hear angels singing. <laughs> oh, when I get to that, I'm, you know, and, and I had a number, and I got to that number, and nothing changed. I've been feeling better about myself. I wasn't any more confident. I couldn't talk to women any better. And so, what? Well, must not be the right number. So I'll lose another five pounds. Then I draw another five pounds, and you know, nothing's changed here. Okay, another five pounds. So I have people coming up, oh, God, eat something for God's sake. You're looking at it, you know. And part of it is I couldn't get that there's no number on a scale that's going to make me like myself. And that was a, something I had to get to understand. You know, that if there's no magic number, that, and, and it, it's all an inside job, I had to get that. Um, fast forward, I, I ended up meeting somebody, we got married, I was a comedian, and all over the country, I moved out here, and my, my program falls apart, okay? And because I, I had a really good group back in Connecticut, which I later found out was started by a woman who was from Surrey Sunday and moved back east. But, um, by Mark, okay. And, um, but like you see, I fell apart. And part of it was that I just, I look back now, I was in two different OAs. I was in the OA, it was the same program, doesn't it? It was two different jobs, really, what it was. I was in, my idea of what program was about was coming meetings. 
you know. And as I later heard an old, uh, heard some old timers say, it's not called the 12 meeting program. It's not called the 12 phone call program. It's not called. It's just called the steps program. And I didn't get that. And for me, it was about going to meetings, you know, coming, making this uh, advanced form of group therapy. Let me come tell you all of my problems and then leave. You know, I'm hardly listening to anything you're saying during the meeting. I'm on, I'm waiting for the time that I get to share. That's what my disease, or, you know, my program was then. And um. It didn't work. And, and I, I, you know, 15 years into this program, practically, I was, and I had no clue. I can look back now and go, I didn't understand what Calhoun's meant. I was, I remember, I was secretary at Artist Nassim's meeting. I am, a, I have a sponsor. I have, I am sponsoring. I'm a delegate. I'm doing all the things, and I'm leaving Artist Nassim's to stop into the donor shop. And I'm leaving just, you know, you talk about incomprehensible demoralization. Why am I, I'm saying this, though, why am I doing this? I'm not setting it away. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. You know? But I could not grasp what powerlessness was. And it took me a long time. And part of this was, I was on this cycle of you know, getting into planning to go out and then going out and then coming back and then I come back and now i got to lose the weight of gaining and all this. And it was this big sign wave cycle because I didn't want to look at where the real problem was just on the other side of that was that I was in America and didn't want to be in. And I'm a people pleaser and I'm a, I'm a I, I would do anything rather than to hurt somebody. And I didn't want to be in this marriage. So I kept dealing this big problem with food in between me and what my real problem was. And I couldn't see that because, you know, I love that line, you know, you want to find out what you're eating about, stop eating. <laughs> you know, and, you know, and that's what it was. I, I ended up going to another program for a while that was very rigid with this food, but I needed to do that. And as soon as I did, I'm in therapy, and there it is. And then, as it turned out, I got out of that marriage. It, I, I'm sure, you know, my ego was going to devastate her. She's in a fine marriage now. I'm in a fine marriage, which is exactly what I need to do. But um, the thing I didn't understand about powerlessness, and I'm, I'm running out of time, but I really want to talk about, I would say I was powerless. I'm powerless. I'm powerless. I'm powerless. I'm powerless. I'm powerless. I'm powerless. You know, and then I come back. I'm powerless. I'm powerless. I'm powerless. I'm powerless. Well, how powerless did I really think about? What were the things I was saying? When I'm done, I'll come back. I may have to go to 90 meetings in 90 days, and I have to get a new sponsor, but I will get asked and then again. Because I have done it over and over. And, and what it took me years to get was, I needed to see on. I am powerful over that, over food in the small picture, because I've done that. Getting asking again is being powerful in the small picture. What I needed to understand was I'm powerless in the big picture, you know. If, if I tell myself I will get asking it again, and I do, I'm setting up the next one because I've really told myself I'm powerful over it. And now I've got, a, I've got the pressure valve with the things get really bad, I can go back to the food. And I needed to change how I saw that. And, and you know, when I first came in, I remember you used to always hear this, we don't eat no matter what, it's like a really, you know, hardcore thing. I heard we say it much better, they said, if, if you're a compulsive eater and you need food an option, it's always going to be the only option. It's always going to be the path of least resistance. If you've got to go between, you know, having uncomfortable feelings and going through some bad stuff or eating a food that A, you like the taste of, and to be at least at one point in your life did something to make you feel better, it's a no-brainer. And for me, I had to change it to be food is no longer an option for my emotional stuff, my emotional turmoil. And it was sort of a, a breakthrough, you know. And the, also the whole idea of grasping that this is a disease. I would say it because that's what, you know, I'm good soon. I hear me say it's a disease, okay, I'll regurgitate that. It's a disease. Somewhere in there, it's like, oh, it makes you guys feel better. It means that, okay, you know. I get at a core level that this is a disease. 
I know because I go to meetings and I hear, I'll hear one, you know, person from South Central get up and tell their story, and the next week I'll hear somebody from Bel Air, and it's the same story. You know, and the details are different, but that same, you know, like I said, incomprehensible demoralization, I get it. And, and I also get that my disease, you know, it, it's in me, but it, it, is, it is a disease, and it's so far as it's disease. You know, if you think about cancer, Cancer is in people when we get what cancer is, but it's still a person's body making those cells. So is it them or is it cancer? We get we get the difference, and therefore we have no trouble making that dif- that differentiation. But with with the psychological thing, those thoughts are so interwoven in my brain. But my, my disease is always saying, "Oh, you can do this, you can do that." I always say my disease is like a world best salesman. It's going to find the exact phrase it can look. It knows he can't say to me, John, let's go to 7-Eleven and, and, and buy a bunch of stuff. So it keeps backing up until it can find a, 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 a foot in the door. And for me, like now, it would be, yeah, you don't need to you know, you don't need to go to something. And what, you know, it's like that, do you remember that movie Asteroid where the whole idea is you don't blow up an asteroid in headquarters, you've got to go out far away and just nudge it just a little so that it can get, well, that's what my disease is trying to do. My disease will go out as far as it needs to be nudge to get me off kilter, right? and I need to, I need to be vigilant, you know, that there's like lines from the American Revolution, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. For me, this disease is about eternal vigilance, and it doesn't matter how much I learn, it takes all of what I know today and tries to use it against me, and I need to realize that there's no, I love marketing from progress, that you can't take the broken brain and the broken brain, and, and for me, it's so true, I, I need, I need a higher power, and, and today I have one, but I need a, a grounded, like, out 12 step higher power. I mean, I was at the level of a higher power. You know, I have a, a higher power God, I have sponsors, I have a sponsor, I have I have fellow people, and, and I need to ground out by talking to them. I always joke that, you know, me and God can go into a closet and, and I'll go pray and come out and God will told me that, that uh, you know, chocolate's a vegetable. <laughs> but then I pick up the phone and I call my sponsor and he goes, yeah, not for you. Let's do it. And that's the problem. And I'll, I'll wrap up. Is that I, you know, and this is true for the world. You know, what is what is the the, the, the will of God? What is the, the I don't know what's the voice of God and what's the voice of my disease just doing a really good God impression. And so I need to ground out with human beings in this program who I trust and constantly day in and day out do that. And every time it, it keeps, you know, just recently I'm just stuck with the food and I had to talk it out. Because part of my little five year old said, Well, I've been in 31 years in program. I should be able to eat this. No. I got 31 years in AA. I can't drink beer. <laughs> you know, I, I, I get that. But part of my disease tells me it's okay. And I just have to say thanks for sharing the disease and, and listening to my sponsor. So thanks for letting me share. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is time for questions only. There's no sharing of this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us at the meeting. Also, please remember, the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of all readers, not always uh, the whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. But remember, if you ask a question, your voice is audible on the OA podcast. Uh, so if you, can, if you want to be uh, known, give us a name. If not, it's okay. Thank you. I really appreciate it. You said uh, when you were in program that when things got really, really bad, then you would kind of go back to the food. What, you know, how was the process of making that change? No, that's really not what, you know, what tools did you use? Okay, what made it shift? Yeah, okay, uh, the, the question about what made it shift so that food, I think uh, about food being an option. 
I think I really did get how I had always done that. And, and I realized that I, it was there as a pressure valve. And, and if that pressure valve was there, it may take something really big to make it go after a long time of, of, of staying absent. But then the second one's going to be less. And then the third one, I mean, then I break a shoelace and I'm out from off of 7-Eleven. And um, I think part of it was really getting that I wasn't growing. Because, you know, I always, it was like I'm a rat in a maze going down the wrong thing on a maze and getting to the end of it and realizing all the way down the wrong way and backing all the way out and then going down the same damn one again and the same damn one being choosing the food. I, I, I think I had to realize, somebody said it uh, at Serenity Sunday, I don't know, a while back about, you know, real growth is forged in some emotional pain sometimes. And I'm not part of it is I'm an emotional pain growth. I don't ever want to feel bad, you know, and, and I got raised somehow with this idea, maybe it's my parents, my alcohol parents, that nobody's ever supposed to feel bad at any time, and that's not, you know, that's not yet, reality, but that if I go through this stuff, I can, I can get out the other side, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the things I heard in programs that the, the shortest way, you know, you know, is through something, you know, and that if I can just deal with it, I, I may not want to do it again, you know, and and it, it slowly helped. I mean, I went through that divorce accident, and it was it was brutal. It was not fun. It was, and but I also knew, you know, you always hear the phrase, you know, oh, the food's not going to help. Well, we're not idiots. We know the food's not going to physically help whatever emotional problem. But it used to it used to give me a little goal this time. a little let me just have a little time where I don't have to think about. It. And, and part of that is I realized that that going time was getting less and less and less and less. In fact, even thinking about going to eat, I was already beating myself up about it. So, you know, and yet, I think probably the last time I did it, I did it anyway because I just didn't know any other way. And I just had to, I had to make, say, food could no longer be an option. And sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it's, it's you know, you know, the idea that we're never, ever supposed to go through life without any white knuckle accident. I don't want white knuckle accidents, but I think white knuckle accidents is preferable to going out. Because, you know, that first life is the easiest one to stay away from. And it's, sometimes it's not easy at all, but it's still going to be the easiest. Because then it's like, oh, the second and the third, and then I'll come back tomorrow, tomorrow, that's tomorrow mantra. That'll kill you, you know? And, um, and so it wasn't easy sometimes. And it just had to say it could not be an option anymore. And in this life, that's tough. You know, it really is. Yeah. Can you talk about Can I talk about service? Well, I'm one of two people I know in the program. The other one is actually in the room, and we'll name name one. We've been actually advised by their sponsor to do (laughs) work. But that's it. And and I would love to say it's because of my glorious uh, giving nature, and it's probably more of my glorious compulsive uh, control for nature. But I also, part of it is, I, I think I give service because I'm grateful this is here. You know, I know that there goes the grace of God. I could have been born 100 years ago. I'm 100 years ago. There's no AA. I'm dead. I've been dead for 20 years. I, I, I mean, I have absolutely no doubt in my mind. I'm dead for at least 20 years if, if there was no AA. But there was an AA. There was an AA that spawned an OA. And, you know, I want there to be one here tomorrow. You know, and I do service, you know, because you know, I want. And I want to greet newcomers. You know, one of my favorite lines in the program is, be nice to your sponsees. You never know when they're going to be your sponsor. <laughs> and, you know, and I know it's all going to go home, doesn't it? You know, but 
But I, I also know, I never know. You know, I, I remember a number of years ago, there was a meeting I used to go to uh, on Sunday morning, and they could, it was like, get fully teeth to get people to be served. And, and finally, the meeting closed. And I remember saying to somebody, I'd love to be a fly on the wall of the, of, of, uh, of the people showing up on the Sunday and pulling on that locked door. And I want to be like a spin to make wonderful life. Oh, well, you know, you don't want to there, George Bailey, to, to the secretary. So, you know, and, but the thing is, that can happen on a program like this. And this has saved my life. It really has. And I want it to be. It's not only saved my life, but it's given me a life where, except for that one time when I was really slipping, I, was, I didn't talk about it much, but I've been maintaining over 100 pounds for 31 years, except for, you know, that time when I was a little more. And it left my own life, I have no doubt, you know. I am, I am instant, oh, I am instant 100 pounds of just add food, you know. Thanks. Having... Having had the self-parent yeah. and ending up a child, yeah. so how have you kind of made this transition, or what, yeah. you know, what helped? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of, I mean, I, I ended up thinking yeah, at one point having this, you know, sponsor, and I, I used to say, I'm a big fan, and it, it's in the big book, but there's nothing wrong with outside help, you know, Bill Wilson has therapists. Other people have. I don't think the answer to absolutely everything in the big book all the time. I think most of the things are, but that I needed to go get help from outside help. And, and in a way, anything serve your parents and help me model. I mean, I got a lot of modeling here. You know, I come in and I, I hear people talk about, and I go, my God, you know, if, if the only thing you know is how you're raised, and all of a sudden you people doing things differently, you wow, maybe, maybe my way, the, the way I was raised wasn't too normal, you know? And to realize that this is going. And there's times I do, I mean, I don't want to get back into that. There's a point, if anybody's been turned around since the days when people were showing up with any parents to be used. There was this whole self-parenting, but there's a certain truth in it at the same time that I need every once in a while. Part of what I got raised with was the, the phrase, it's stupid to feel that way. You shouldn't feel that way. You know what? I'm feeling whatever way I feel. And if I'm five, if it's a five-year-old feeling, it's a five-year-old feeling. And the old days, I would try to gloss it over. I'd try to tell myself it was, you know, I'd try to put it over polyurethane over it and tell myself I don't feel that way. And what, what I've learned to do now is I've let that little five-year-old have a chance to say, ow, that hurt. I don't like that because I got slammed down with feeling that way. And I got, you know, at some point, if you've got like a dysfunctional family, you get all these really dysfunctional things, and then at a certain point, they hand you the baton. Here, now, go live a dysfunctional life. You know, and you do it yourself. And you realize that, no, this is the way normal people are. And it's okay. I, I have a, I said, an extended family person who I'm, I'm sort of teaching them because they want to do it all brainwashed. So I'm stupid to feel that way. Well, it feels the way it feels. And then, I, I'm almost like being my own parent sometimes. Sometimes I'll say, well, you know, how do you, you know, and I'll, and I have to do that because it still doesn't come organically for me to have a good grasp of my feelings. Sometimes I have to actually stop and say, how am I feeling about that? You know, and, and I mean, I used to have a therapist when I was, you know, really doing work like 15 years ago, say, how do you feel about it? And I would say what I'm doing. Now, how do you feel? And, and I would just go by four or five times and I realized I just don't have a good grasp and I need to. And that, that just takes work, you know, it's like anything else. We just have to keep doing it. So. Thank you. 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 Thank you.
I was not sure if I'm clear on that question, but maybe you can Okay, well, I'll get her in the music or you want to think about it. I'm actually curious to find out how you use your program on a daily basis. Like, what is the day for you? Well, you know, I love the stuff you talked about in the big book, especially with steps 10 and 11, because it's like one of the people that are really, you know, you know, uh, upon awakening for the next 24 hours a day, we think about how our day goes. And on a good day, I, I used to desperately try to do this with prayer and meditation, and I'm, I'm an A-type personality, but I didn't do a good job on it. And I've been given the gift of a dog. <laughs> and now I mean that because I get out every morning and I walk the dog, and on most days I say, okay, this is my time to sort of center and think about how I'm going to start my day. And if I do it the way I, I want to, and on a good day, I do. I think about, okay, what's coming up and how do I want to go about things and think ahead. And I mean, on days when I don't get do that, I feel like I've been thrown out of the car at 40 miles an hour. And all I'm trying to do is just keep from going face down in the gravel. But on the days when I can do that, I, I'm the one starting my day as opposed to, you know, getting, you know, having it thrown in my face. And then at the end of the day, you know, you know, we review our day. And, and I don't do it in the formal but I try and, and, and as I'm laying there before the big world, you know, is there anything? And there are times, you know, where it'll just hit you. Well, that didn't go well. I've got to go make an amends on that. And it's funny, I've got a brother who's a born again and can quote chapter and verse of the Bible. And, and he was going on one day about this, this, and this, and this. And this. I go, Bob, you know, here's the wonderful thing about thought that program. You just get this little freaking alarm in here that just goes off when you know you've done something you shouldn't have. And it doesn't mean you're going to necessarily do something about it, or you may not, but you just know. And, you know, uh, and I've gotten very good about that. About I always say it's a step I think I've, I grasped the earliest and did the best. Is, you know, I spent years when I was younger, I had to, you know, make all kinds of mental gyrations so that I was right. You know, well, yes, you did that, but I did this and this. And, and now you just say, you know what, I screwed up. I screwed up on the human being, you know. And and what a relief to not have to, to go through that and to just say it's okay, you know. And one of the biggest quote things happening again about five years ago, I heard a guy, Carmen got a business workshop. He said, you know, no matter how much I I read the big book and memorize it and twelve and twelve and learn all this stuff, I don't rise above the level of human being. And I don't, I'm going to make monumental screw up sometimes. And I think there's a part of me that looked at that big book and the ideals that are in there as this is where I'm supposed to be now. And I would beat myself up if I wanted. And, and look, I want to be the guy that they talk about in that book all the time. But I'm not. I'm a human being. And I screw up and I, I yell, you know, or something like that. But as soon as I catch it, I try to change. I try to make amends for it. And I make amends. It is the true spirit of the word man. I try to not do it again. Now, to me, I always do, but I try. So, that's that's the way. So, you're after Yes. Um, you're after the Bible. Yes. How do you know when something has nudged you out here? Like, how do you get as far ahead of that as it, you can? It's hard. It's hard. I, I try to be as honest as I can about things, especially if I send things on my You know, again, I, I just recently had to look at the fact that there were some certain foods I'm eating, and I had to say to myself, you know, I am eating them within the parameters of my abstinence, but they're taking up an awful lot of my time. And that to me is a sign. That's a sign. And I think there's a huge difference, and I know because I've been in both places, 
of am I abstinent or am I dealing with a controlled eating? You know, where all of a sudden I'm eating something, it's like, it's like and there, you know, I joke about the fact that I said, you know, the old red light, yellow light, green light foods, and I know, I know what my red light foods are, I know what my green light foods are, and 90% of my yellow light foods are, are my are red light foods, I'm going, no! <laughs> you know, they're yellow light foods that I'm hitting the accelerator trying to get through the light. <laughs> but, um, but in this one thing, I started to say, you know, this is not absolute meaning. It was absolute like the definition, but it was taking up too much time. I just said, you know, this has got to go. And it's part, you know, it's, the part of the problem is my disease is, it's not the same, it's in the same synapses and everything as the rest of my brain. And so, no, no, you can do this. And it, that's what makes this disease, I think it makes this disease hard. A lot of times I'll talk about why the different things that are hard about this disease. And it's three one of the biggest ones is how our, this disease delivers its pain as opposed to alcoholism and drug addiction. Is those who hit you with acute pain and slam you face down into the pavement, and if you maybe sometimes in the grace of God have a little glimmer of, oh my God, what am I doing in my life? And yet, there are people dying at 600 pounds. And if you're dying at 600 pounds, that means that 500, 400, and 300 were acceptable. And what I realized is that, and I talk about this sometimes, but this disease is like, there's a story of the scientists that found you take a frog and bring it for a pot of boiling water, or the frog is, is a smart animal and knows this. I don't want to be anywhere near this. But you can take that same frog and put it in a pot of room temperature water and then slowly turn the heat up, and the frog will never, the frog will die in there. And that's what our disease is. Our disease is, is the very slow raising so that we begin to accept more and more of that which was previously unacceptable. You know, we look from the head and neck up. We, we make all these people, all of them they get to this number, and I'm gonna, and so what makes it so hard as opposed to the disease is it's this dull chronic pain. At some point, you have to sort of pull the bottom up to, you know, the bottom is unlimited as far as the uh, you know, day, you know, and, and I remember somebody, one day I was at some meeting and somebody said, to well, I didn't have my bottom yet, and the old timer said, you know, bottom isn't gold. <laughs> <laughs> But there's a truth in that you have to, at some point, be able to say, I've had enough. I've had enough pain. And, and there'll always be food. There'll always be excuses as to why. And there'll always be tomorrow. And, and you can look around right now. There's many people in this room I admire greatly. We've got 20, 30, 40 years. Not one who started on this tomorrow. So, anyway, I think that's my time. And thanks, Don, for that. <laughs>